The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we come before you and we pray without fear because you have invited us into your presence and enabled us to call you Dad, to address you intimately and personally. You are the Lord God Almighty and you are our Dad. That is a great privilege that you have won for us. You have given to us who didn't deserve it. As we've sang about so many times, Lord, this morning in, in different ways, you have drawn us near at the cross and you have, you have chased away fear. You have, you have rendered it uh, void in our lives because you have saved us. You've cleansed us from sin and made us your people, your children, and you invite us into your presence and enable us to call you Dad. Thank you for that. Father, now I, I ask you that you would do still more, that you would come now into this moment and you would make this your word run in our minds and, and produce change. It seems to me this morning that as I've been sitting here and engaging with you and perhaps others as well, that I've been in some ways drawn away and distracted and and I pray that you would overcome that now for me and for others of us here perhaps, and that you would, Father, that you would cause your spirit to descend on this place and rightly order us to in, in a very intimate and personal way command the attention of our hearts and speak to us wonderful truths. Many things that we are, are well acquainted with, would you speak them to us in ways that are, that are penetrating, that are very personal, that are, in fact, I would even ask, life-changing? That's a big request. You are able if you are willing. Will you change us, Lord, this morning? Would you commission your spirit to take your word and press it into your people and show us your Son and make us gloriously so, your people here on earth, gloriously so. We, we are your people. Make us gloriously so. We've already prayed that you would remove off of us barrier and, and sin and inhibition Thank you for that. We've prayed that you would make your spirit clear by your word, by, by your word clear by your spirit. Thank you for that. Help me to speak in an organized way that is, that is helpful. Help us to listen well. And would you show us Jesus? This passage is expanding the reader, our perspective of who this Jesus is and would you cause us to get it and to walk out of here glorifying. Thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Make your word clear now and build your church for the glory of Christ and for our good, I ask it. Amen. 
turn our attention this morning to the middle of Luke chapter 5, where we will see the personal ministry of Jesus take another important turn. Last week, in the beginning of this chapter, we noticed Jesus beginning to call out his disciples, and as he did so, he was beginning to explain for us, to depict for us, what it is to be a disciple, what such disciples should be, people who are followers of Jesus to catch men, to catch other people. And he said that, made that point while standing in a boat full of fish. As we saw, he went fishing with a particular group of men to show them both their total inability and his total ability to haul in a catch, which of course was, was a picture. He was creating a metaphor there and he turned it immediately to show them he means to talk about catching people, drawing people to himself. Disciples, we saw, are people who are called to follow Jesus, who are caught by Jesus, called to follow him so as to be catchers. We're caught to catch. That was the main point in verses 1 to 11 last week. But we also noted, a very brief aside, that all along the way, as we've been moving through this book, Luke is about something else. Remember, Luke is talking to this man, Theophilus, so the one he's written the book to, and in so doing, he's talking to us, the, the outside readers, showing us something, trying to convince us of something, to present to us the truth of the matter, to encourage us, to confirm in us what we have heard. And along the way, he's showing us, bit by bit, Jesus, revealing him to us. We've seen pieces along the way as we're kind of seeing the picture filled in. So chapter 3, you'll recall that, that not only did Jesus have a unique birth, but we saw that he is the one who is full of the Holy Spirit, the one upon whom the Spirit of God rests in power. He's the Son, the ruler, the, the one with whom God is well pleased. And then we saw that Son sent out into the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He is the Son who is champion over Satan, who's faithful to keep God's word. And he, he is the one we saw in chapter 4 then who brings in the kingdom. He is the one who announces the year of Jubilee to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he showed us that by healing, by casting out demons, by restoring people, and by teaching. And then last week we saw that this Jesus is the one who speaks the word of God. Very brief aside, a little comment there. The crowd gathered around him at the, at the shore of the lake to hear off of his lips the word of God. Not just to hear him talking about the word of God, but to hear him speaking the word of God. And then we saw Peter, who knew him as a good teacher, who knew him as a healer. He'd already healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, we saw. But he saw something different standing in the boat full of fish, and in fear he draws back and calls him Lord. Not understanding all that that means yet, and this part, this far into the book, we don't understand all that that means yet, but we, along with Peter, understand something new. Something more, not just a teacher, not just a healer. Something of God is drawing near in Jesus. So Luke, bit by bit by bit, is kind of opening up, maybe drawing back the curtain might be a good way to put it, showing us a little more of who he is. And we see more of that today in our passage. We're on the way to the calling of another disciple. He's going to call Levi here shortly. But before that, he wants to reveal a little bit more of who Jesus is. Or Jesus wants to reveal a little more of himself. He's going to do that through a couple of miracles. We're going to deal with, with these two passages, verses 12 to 26. We're going to deal with them together. 
we could deal with them separately, but we're going to deal with them together because they have some, some common themes that run through them both. We read the passage, 12 to 26, and I'll pass back through it to clarify some of the details, not all of them. There are, there are many things that one could talk about in these passages, but what I want to get at, I'm going to clarify the details that are important to follow the main point. Important to follow the thread of where this is going in the book. So I'm going to read 12 to 26, clarify some details, and make a couple of overarching observations. Luke 5, beginning in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Luke chapter 5. Two stories. First, we meet a man full of leprosy. A terrible condition at that time. Not only was it physically disgusting and dangerous, but according to God's Old Testament law, it rendered a person religiously unclean. The Old Testament law has a couple of categories, clean and unclean, and many activities in life, many maladies, infirmities, and whatnot, and many ordinary activities render a person unclean, and therefore, while unclean, unable to approach God. So God and the unclean person are separate, and there is a barrier. And God put that in the Old Testament to teach us something about us and about him. Holy, 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 distinct and separate from us unclean people. As long as one remains unclean, you cannot go into the presence of God, you can't commune with God, you can't be a part of his worship services, you can't even be a part of the community of God, a part of the people. There's a barrier that exists there. 
And as long as leprosy persisted, the person remained unclean. And of course, that means this guy is perpetually unclean. The law also said that such lepers had to walk around, they had to live away from people, they had to walk around completely covered up and yell out, unclean, unclean, so as to warn people and keep people separate from them so there wouldn't be any accidental contact. This man is ostracized from God, cut off from people, he's he's a leper, it's an awful condition, and he's full of it. And one day, he sees Jesus and he makes a request. While acknowledging his ability, ability, I know you can, but will you make me clean? Which is a subtle and important request. He doesn't, exactly, ask to be healed. He doesn't use either of the two words for healing that are right in this passage, down in verses 15 and 17. He asks to be cleansed to be made religiously clean, spiritually clean, not physically free from leprosy. An important distinction there. Now, of course, healing from leprosy is what's going to have to happen. If he's going to be pronounced clean, he's got to be free from leprosy. That's what's going to have to happen. It is what Jesus does. But this particular focus of his question, of his request, tells us what we're supposed to be thinking about and looking at. This is not only a passage that is about a man with a physical problem who needs physical help. We're to be thinking about something in the spiritual realm. When we're in the realm of clean and unclean, we are about people relating to God. I'm not clean. You can make me clean if you are willing. Not even just pronounce me clean. You can make me clean if you're willing. Will you? Will you cleanse me? And Jesus does what no one would think to do, and what he doesn't need to do, he touches him and says, I'm willing, be clean. And at the word of Jesus, immediately the leprosy left him. He tells him then to tell nobody about this, perhaps because he doesn't want confusion about who he is to spread, perhaps because he doesn't want the problem that arises in verse 15 with piles of people crowding in on him and and forcing him to to go out into the, the desolate places to be alone with God, perhaps because he wants to avoid that. It happens anyway, obviously. Maybe that's why he says don't tell anybody, but probably what he means is don't tell anybody yourself yet. But instead, he says, go to the priest, make the offering. What what the scripture says is that this man yet has an eight-day process to walk through. He's got to go to the priest, present himself, go through a waiting period, and then the priest is supposed to announce him clean, officially. And then he has an offering to, to offer up to God as a thanksgiving. What Jesus is telling him to do is obey the scriptures. Go through the whole process. Don't yourself go saying, look, I'm clean. Let the priests do it in order. That will be a sign to them, literally a witness to them. The priest will say, this man is legitimately, thoroughly, absolutely clean, and everybody will know, and that by the word of Jesus. A man obedient to the scriptures, a witness to them. 
The second story also includes a testimony or, or a proof of who Jesus is. This one offered by Jesus. As the men tear open this dirt and clay roof, houses in that day would have, would have been rather short and would have had dirt and clay roofs on them, ordinary houses, and these men trying to get in couldn't get in through the crowd, so they climbed up on top and they've cut through the dirt and they're removing chunks of it, pieces of, of dirt and clay, and they lower their paralyzed friend. And understand, paralyzed is desperate. There, there's no disability compensation in the ancient world. There's no alternative work that, that one can do with, with various physical limitations. This man is desperate because he's destitute and is utterly dependent on the kindness of other people. Fortunately, he has some friends who bring him to Jesus. They tear open the roof. They are so eager to get in there. And they let him down right in the middle of the crowd. You can see all the dirt raining down on these folks. And they let him down right in the middle of the crowd, and the tension there in the room is palpable. Here are the Pharisees for the first time in the book. Come from all over the land to check out Jesus. What's he going to do? What's going to happen here? We know something's going to happen because Luke's tipped his hand, end of 17, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Not that the power of the Lord isn't with him somewhere else to heal, We've already seen that it has been with him as he's been wandering all throughout the land. That's how chapter 4 began, the, the events of chapter 4. In the power of the Spirit, he goes from town to town to town to town to town. He is in the power of the Spirit, able to heal always. But Luke's reminding us of that so as to help us understand what happens and so as to help us answer the questions raised by the Pharisees. The paralyzed man is lying there dramatically in front of Jesus. And Jesus forgives his sin. Which is not what they were looking for. And he didn't have to do it. Jesus, this is, you've got to understand the, the, the turn in the story here. Jesus deliberately makes an issue he could have forgiven him just in his mind. He could have healed him and then later talked to him and said, and your sins are forgiven. But he makes this front and center first thing right in front of a, you know, three rows of Pharisees. Your sins are forgiven you. Which sends them aghast. What? They ask questions they raise doubts. But they are the questions that, that Jesus meant to provoke for all the listeners there and for us, the readers, meant to raise these questions in front of us. Who is this, they ask, who speaks blasphemies? Because only God can forgive sin. Who do they think he is? Who is he? Good question. Who is he? Jesus calls them, of course, reading their hearts, calls them on it and says, that you may know that I am the one who has authority to forgive sin. Walk home. And he does. We're, we're reading the question, who is this? What's, what's going to happen here? We're, and we're wondering, perhaps, along with the Pharisees, 
Is this one step too far? Has he, has this Jesus claimed prerogative that belongs only to God? No, in fact, the power of the Lord is on him to heal and ratifies the statement about forgiveness. So that you may know that I have authority to forgive sin. Watch this. And in the power of God, he heals him. Stands up and walks home to the amazement of everybody else. Extraordinary. Jesus does have authority to forgive sin. That's the passage. Obviously, there are other details that we could talk about, but that's enough to draw us in and help us to see the main point here. Here's, here's the common theme that I'm going to work towards this morning. Jesus is the one sent to cleanse and restore us. So come to him. Jesus is the one sent to cleanse and restore us. So come to him. I'm going to make two observations, which really is just splitting that sentence in half. One about Jesus, one about our response. So we begin with Jesus. Here's the first point. Jesus is willing and able to cleanse and restore. Jesus is willing and able to cleanse and restore. And I'm, I'm saying these things, and I'm, I'm saying them to you, who many of you I, I know know your Bible well, and I, I just plead with you, brothers and sisters, and, and if you're a visitor here, I, I plead with you, do not let Simple sentences that right away make total sense to you slide right on by. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, Jesus, of course. Who else is going to be? Grab it. Look at it. In this passage, no less than in previous passages, we see right away, we should notice before we look at anything unique in this passage, we should notice what we have already seen before that there is something remarkable about Jesus, like he has already announced in chapter 4, Jesus is bringing in a new age, a new era, one that is full of compassion and mercy and grace and kindness to fix people's maladies, to heal. We've seen this before, but we've got to grab this and, and notice it again because many of us, in fact, you don't believe that Jesus actually is eager to deal with you and to help you. But he is, remarkably so. He is willing to actually reach out and touch and to take a leper and to heal him. All throughout chapter 4 we saw that Jesus brings in the age of, of liberty and freedom, of healing and hope, and here it is again for these two men, no less than before, don't ever overlook or doubt or forget the loving compassion of Jesus and his willingness to draw near and to actually touch a leper. People that we don't want anything to do with. He will. We've already seen that. I, I know you know that, but brothers and sisters, men and women... 
we have often a statement we, we officially believe about Jesus, but we don't actually think that he is so deeply and passionately committed to you, to me. Yes, but no, not me. Yes, but yes. Don't ever forget that. Simple. Don't forget it. He's willing and able. You can watch the hand in slow motion reach out and touch the leper. I am willing. When was the last time anybody even looked at that leper, let alone touched him? Jesus does. And he changed him and he changed the paralytic in dramatic ways. He changed their physical lives. He changed their existence on earth in a dramatic and compassionate way. He is very willing. That's clear there. We can't overlook it. But of course, that physical healing, that that physical compassion is meant to point us on towards something else. We can't stop there. We can't miss that, but we have to move on because it is not meant to leave us looking only at the physical. This is about Jesus' willingness and ability to compassionately, lovingly cleanse and restore spiritually. That's the issue. That's the main issue here that is unique to this passage. To restore spiritually from sin. That's the point, particularly, explicitly, the point of the healing of the the paralysis. That you may know, verse 24, that I have authority on earth to forgive sin. That's why he heals, explicitly. What he wants us to take out of this is knowing that he has authority, not only power, but right power, authority. There's a subtle difference between authority and power. In any city, police have authority. A gang might have power. He has authority and power, right power. I'm empowered by God, not a blasphemer. I'm one who does the work of God in the power of God. I have authority of God over life, over leprosy, over limbs, and I am able to make you clean and to restore you to God. Who is this? We're supposed to ask that. Who is this? He is God come in flesh, men and women. Look and see. Look, behold the goodness, the glory, the wonder of Christ willing and able to cleanse and restore us from that which is truly destructive. And the power from the effect of sin in our lives. We are, are much more, are, all of us, Christian and non-Christian alike, we are much more immediately and, and emotionally gripped by physical ailment. All of which is entirely secondary to the real problem that we face. Sin and its effect in our lives is that which truly destroys us. It it sets us apart from God and apart from other people, and even it separates us from ourselves. It destroys union with, with 
us, we, we ourselves are wrecked inside, let alone with others, let alone with God, because of sin. And God has done something marvelously kind to send a Savior not just to fix our bodies, but to fix us, to restore us to ourselves and to our societies and to him himself. How does does he do that? Well, it doesn't say. Certainly not just by pronouncement. That's all we have in the passage is, be clean, your sins are forgiven. Just pronouncement. We We don't see it here but we see it hinted at in what he does with the leper. Look at the hand of of Jesus going out to touch the leper. Nobody did that. Why not? Because the problem, and this this is explicitly why nobody did that, because when you touch the leper, the problem of the leper comes onto you. The toucher. Perhaps even the physical infection passes on to you, but the unclean status passes on to you. The toucher you get, you get infected by, you get drawn onto yourself that which you just touched. And Jesus deliberately, without need, deliberately reaches out and touches him. If you will, if you think of it this way, He becomes an unclean leper so as to make the man clean and free of leprosy. Now, literally, he didn't become infected with leprosy and he didn't become unclean. He is the Holy One. But we see something here, something hinted at, something shown to us. He touched him and he became a leper that he might be healed. He became unclean that he might be clean. He became, everybody was then drawn back from Jesus. He became the ostracized one that he might restore him. This is a little picture of exactly what Jesus did at the cross, if you think about it. At the cross, this Jesus, he becomes the one who takes onto himself our sorrows, our sicknesses, our sins. He becomes cut off, becomes cursed, becomes set outside of the city because that's where we were. And he does so in order to restore us. We get a little hint here. We don't don't know. If this is all you had, you wouldn't understand it. But looking back at it, you can see he's laying down tracks that we can mentally run down and see. Jesus is the one who is himself willing to become what we are so as to fix us. Pull us out of it. Who is this? Well, it's God in flesh, and it's also God in flesh who is the substitute Savior, who puts himself in our place to redeem. This is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus stepping into our shoes, stepping into our place. And immediately he heals them of leprosy. And immediately he chases away the paralysis. Now, we look at this. What do you do with this? Okay, that's, that's an interesting picture. 
What do you do with it? This Jesus, Christian, this Jesus is showing us here what it's like when he steps into the shoes of a man in need and cleanses him from sin. And he restores that man. He comes out of it fixed. Healed. Restored to people. Restored to the world. The paralytic comes out of it leaping for joy. Walking. Able now to work. Able to interact with people. Glorifying God. Jesus is showing us in these stories what in the gospel he has done for you, Christian. Already, and today and tomorrow, forever. When he stepped into your shoes, when he substituted himself in for you at the cross, you were cleansed. Restored immediately and absolutely. And that then puts you in the place where you, as a restored, reunited, connected child of God, now have the right, have the privilege of this Jesus' work in your life today and tomorrow, on and on and on, to continue to cleanse sin out of you. We use a word called sanctification. To cleanse sin out of you, to continue to grow you and to restore you to the person you are supposed to be. To make you what you are to be. This is incredibly good news. He has claimed you, cleansed you, and is committed to continue to cleanse you on and on and on without ceasing. This is the Lord God Almighty acting in Jesus not only to deal with circumstantial, superficial realities, but to deal with the burden that you face and take it away. To see that is to understand what God is doing even right now in your life in Christ. We often think of the work of the cross as in some way kind of legal and detached from my current reality. That when I die and face the judgment, I will be forgiven. And that's a good thing. And that's true. But if you use words like cleansing and restoring, which I deliberately used, and you see that going on in these pictures, you understand something. He's about something like fixing, correcting, making right that which was wrong. That's what he's doing in your life now. Right now. In every, in every situation 
that you face right now. Perhaps even more in the ones you detest right now. The problem situations, probably, of course, I don't know everything that everybody's facing, but probably the problem situations are those times, those places in your life where he is at work to cleanse and to restore you right now. And you know he's doing that because of the big picture work, because of the fact that he's claimed you at the cross and has forgiven you and you stand as his child and there is no condemnation on you. Because of that, you know that right now, he is always about doing me good, fixing, restoring, cleansing me in this here now, even in the cruddy thing you're hating. What a blessing that cruddy thing that you're hating is. Well, that's stupid talk. Well, is it? I would bet you a dollar that the paralytic in some way afterwards says, I'm so glad for that paralysis. Because you people who've walked all your lives have no idea what it's like to be paralyzed. To be paralyzed. And then to get up and run home. I know something you don't. Praise God for the paralysis. And the leper knows what it's like to be shunned, to be cast aside, to be rejected, to have to to cover his face and, and shy away from people and say, don't come anywhere near me, you can't be around me, and then to be fixed and to go home and if he's married, lie down with his wife in the same bed. You don't know what it's like to be forbidden to do that and then to be joined together healed and fixed and to be able to walk into the temple grounds again like I couldn't I know something you don't praise God for leprosy this is a picture of what God does at the cross and Christian what he's doing in your life is this very sort of work addressing not just the physical things on the outside but cleansing and restoring you Fixing the problem of sin and all of the alienation and all the crap it's wrecked in your life. I know crap is a quasi-curse word. I'm trying to not curse, but that's how you feel about it, isn't it? (laughs) It is how we feel about it. (laughs) And even in that, especially in that, there's a restoring and a cleansing work That's why he hasn't fixed that, because he's using that to get at your sin, to get at your heart. This Jesus is the Lord God Almighty who was willing and is able to deal with sin, to forgive it, to cleanse us of its effects, to restore us to what it wrecked. Bless God for sending this Savior. To you. That's who Jesus is. So then what do we do about that? Well, we should approach him. Here's the second point. Come to Jesus with humble faith. 
glorifying God for sending such a Savior. Come to Jesus with humble faith. Glorifying God for sending such a Savior. The previous flood of healings that we looked at in chapter 4, as I said, in some ways are similar to the healings that we'll see here and on throughout the rest of the book, that they show us the age of Messiah, they show us the compassion of Jesus. However, one of the things that we noted in chapter 4 that actually highlighted the compassion and the kindness and the mercy and the goodness of Jesus there was that those healings were indiscriminate. There is nothing said about the spiritual state, about the hearts of those he heals. He just heals everybody in the crowd. Nothing said about them, and he never asks. He just heals. One by one by one by one, all of them. But it's different here. Here, the scope is narrowed. And as we've talked about, with the focus being drawn in to make us think about cleansing and restoring, not just from physical, but from spiritual trouble, made us, making us to think about what's happening at the cross. We're on a spiritual plane, and we see something else, something additional added in here. There is something about the heart. There is something about the spiritual condition. Jesus heals restores, cleanses those who come to him in humble faith. And he doesn't deal with the sin of those who don't. Got to see this. There is something unique here. His cleansing follows humble faith. Verse 12, the leper humbly falls on his face before Jesus, begging him, the lowliest posture and attitude that a human being can adopt. He's on his face, begging. He acknowledges his power. He calls him Lord, and he asks. Clear humility here. A clear lowliness before Jesus, a, a dependence, which also shows faith, but not quite so clearly as the second story does. Faith, of course, is the prominent issue in the second account. Men determined to get to Jesus. They, they carry this guy on a mat some distance. They, they force their way into the house by climbing up onto the roof and cutting open the, a hole big enough to lower him down. It's audacious because, like a persistent widow that we'll read about later in Luke, like a persistent widow, they know we have to get to Jesus. He's the only one. There's faith there. Persistent faith. And that, of course, is what Jesus highlights but the text highlights, when he saw their faith, verse 20, then he forgave them. Both accounts show us humble faith. He cleanses those who come in humble faith. Not those who sit in questioning doubt. Like the Pharisees. Humble faith, not questioning. Now, as an aside, questioning is good when done rightly. Questioning that seeks answers rather than questioning that's giving the answer. There's a great big difference there. 
questioning that's asking rather than questioning that's answering, that's good. If you're asking, if you're seeking to understand, if you're pondering, well, then you're right in line with, with, for instance, Mary in this gospel who's encountering things she doesn't quite get yet, and she's kind of putting them in her mind. It says storing them up in her heart, pondering them, trying to work out. I don't understand, but what is it? And she's looking, she's seeking, she's asking for answers. These men aren't asking for answers. They're phrasing it as a question, but they are pronouncing blasphemy. They've already got the answer. This is blasphemy because only God can forgive, and he ain't God. That kind of questioning that's really just resistance, watch that in yourself. Watch that in yourself. We all know what that's like. We've all talked to people. Well, you're, you're sensing this person's asking questions and really they're just telling me the answers. And many people, if you're not a Christian this morning, check that in yourself. You are likely not as unbiased as you would like to be. Check that in yourself. Because there is something right here. There is a Jesus offered to humanity who only cleanses from sin those who come to him in humble faith. And those who resist him, sitting in judgment above him to pronounce, he passes by. Which is a sobering reality. That leaves you still in your sin. Questioning that seeks answers is good. And if there's something here you don't understand, as you're hearing this, you don't get it all, that's, that's fine, great, ponder it. Ask, seek. But be aware. This is real. There is a reality here. A spiritual judgment hangs over you and is in the moment suspended. And there is sufficient evidence to see this Jesus is who he claims to be. He walked the earth. He miraculously healed. He rose from the dead. He is the only way and the only truth and the only life. You must come to him. When you do, you find cleansing and restoration, but if you don't, you don't. So be careful with that. But Christian, this is written to Theophilus and to us, people who have already heard and who already believe. So really, the main point of this is to tell Christians, look, Humble faith is the right way to approach him. Humble faith, when we approach with humble faith, that's what meets the blessing of God for your restoration and for your cleansing. And unfortunately, the Bible also says, but he opposes the proud, Christian included. 
Not just the proud who aren't Christians, the proud, Christian included. The Bible repeatedly says that. Humble faith is the way for a Christian to approach God, to approach Christ in need. I know, Lord, I I recognize that at the end you will pronounce me clean and that I stand forgiven and I need you now to cleanse and to restore and to fix me and to fix me with others and to fix me before you. Something's not right here. How that comes upon me, how the grace of God flows to me is when I with open hands say, face down in front of him, Lord, please help and not prove it to me. He says, nope. I don't play that game. I don't prove to you. Come humble with an open hand, trusting, and I will be found. Cast yourself in every anxiety and every trouble you have at my feet, and I will lift you up. I will lift you up in due time. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. You have humble faith. Humble faith is required. So where does that come from? How do we do that? Do we just like try hard to be humble? Look again at the first point. Jesus is God Almighty who did not count that status as something to be held on to as a right to be grasped, but he humbled himself and touched you in your leprosy and in your uncleanness and in your paralysis and took it onto himself that he might deliver you. He humbled himself, even going to the cross on your behalf, and so therefore there is now no condemnation on you, Christian. Not today after what you looked at on the computer last night or after the argument in the car on the way here before you started smiling. There's no condemnation on you next Tuesday after you speak those harsh words to your kids. And you will. When you are drawn to fear again and tempted to cope in that same old way, When you fail to witness and you're a terrible catcher of men and you don't read your Bible and you don't pray and when you're worried about what your friends think about your clothes which are too tight and too revealing because you're trying to attract attention to yourself when you waste money on your toys and on your vacations trying to fill yourself up Etc. We are weak and we are sinners. We are not what we are should be. Your sins are forgiven. I, I read that list and I read it with a little bit of this tone in it. On purpose, because that's what it feels like to us. That's how, it, that's how those things sound to us. And if we stop and in sober-mindedness consider our lives, that's what it looks like. That's what, in fact, sin is. It is ugly, it is real, and it is destructive, and it is forgiven. Oh! 
forgiven. Forgiveness is astounding, extraordinary. If you see that, then verse 26 becomes real for you, and you actually do say, I have seen something extraordinary here today. Not that a man got up and walked home, but that he was forgiven. Forgiven. That is amazing. That God has sent such a Savior, such a compassionate and powerful, authoritative Savior to pronounce over you clean when you are not. Forgiven when you shouldn't be. Loved in your unloveliness. What a Savior. What a Savior. What a Savior, that he would remove your sin. That is amazing grace. It is awesome and wonderful and sweet. And when you see that, 25 and 26 take over your heart and you rise up and glorifying God at the amazing, extraordinary reality that God in Christ has forgiven you of all of your sin. And glory to God rises out of you. And it never even occurs to you that there would be any glory to you. And you find yourself humble. And thankful. And trusting Him. If He has begun that kind of work in you, will He not also today do more still and complete it? Yes, He will. Yes, He will. In the midst of that which you hate, He's a work. Such a sight to see this Savior, to see this forgiving Savior, such a sight. Oh, may God, by His Spirit, give you, this is Paul's prayer at the beginning of Ephesians 1, may He give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, the eyes of your heart that you would see. May God, by His Spirit, give you sight to see this Savior. And as you do, humble faith joyfully grows in you. And humble faith, as it grows in you, puts you in front of Jesus like this. I come to you knowing that you can and that you will. It puts you growing in humility and growing in faith in front of Him. And then you grow. Because He works His restoration and His cleansing in your life. He grows you more and more into the child of God that He means for you to be. When you come to Him in humble faith, dependent, open-handed, take me, heal me, restore me. And He says, I will. Let me pray. God help us. God help us. First and foremost, by opening the eyes of our hearts and showing us this Savior who became like us so that we could become like Him.
Lord, I don't know who in this room is particularly troubled by things they hate right now, but would you, Spirit of God, address those particular men and women, teenagers, kids, address those particular people and speak to them in ways they cannot miss, that you are with them and that you are at work to restore, to cleanse. Call them to that. Show them that. Build in them humble faith. Grow in all of us assurance that you are our God. You are the lover of our souls. Cause us to marvel, to give you glory for the good work you have done. Thank you, Lord, for being such a kind God. Thank you for such a Savior as Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.